Welcome into the House of L podcast. I am Lawrence Holmes. This is episode 55. Good old Doug Buffon episode. If I would have been smart, I would have planned out an actual Doug Buffon episode. Hmm. I wish I'd have been smart enough to do that, but I wasn't. But I will. That is now something that I can put into my whole thing and decide to do a Doug tribute episode, which I think would be totally fitting since he is one of my favorite people of all time, maybe around the anniversary of Doug's passing, which is 420. So maybe we'll do something around then. We do something all about Doug. All right. This week's episode, I'm very excited for you to hear because it's Dion Miller I love Dion. She has got such a great personality. She's such a good person. And I enjoy talking with her. And it was one of those things where we were just kind of hanging out. And I wanted to have her do a score segment with me. But the conversation ended up going so much longer that I said, well, I'm not going to end up airing all of this because there's 40 minutes or whatever it is. So this is a perfect candidate to be on the podcast. I'll get to that in a minute, and she's great, and you're going to love it. I will tell you that I'm very happy about the feedback that I've gotten, not only from the Mark Grody episode, but the Joe Ostrowski episode. Uh, People really came out in force (laughs) through the first couple of days of the Grody episode. It was amazing. Really amazing to, to watch people react to it the way that they can, and I, I thought that I didn't want to promote talking about Mark's al- alcoholism as a reason why you should listen to it. I, I kind of felt like that was cheating um, and me manipulating you, and I don't want to do that. Like, obviously, I want to tease something and be like, oh, you need to listen. But I didn't want to use Mark's struggle with alcohol to promote the podcast But I'm glad that people who did listen to that episode were able to get something out of it and enjoyed it. And I really appreciate Mark being as open and as honest as he was with with what he had to say. And the episode with Joe where, I mean, we really talked about the industry, man. Like, both those episodes have done really well, uh, along with the Tony Andraki. So I appreciate everyone who's come along and maybe you, you picked this up in episode 45 or whatever. And you stuck around to to listen to it. It's really cool, and we we've grown as a podcast already. I ended up doing a. I, I talked with a journalism class at the University of Alabama earlier this week about the podcast, which is crazy. Like I know some people down there. They they paid some attention to the podcast and how it's grown, and they said, "Oh, well, you should talk with our entrepreneurial journalism class." And I was like, "What?" So I did a Skype with the with Bama, hashtag Roll Tide, and it turned out really well, really well. Okay, on to the episode. Dion Miller is a sports anchor at ABC7. She used to be at Fox 32. She is a terrific person, and I think that will come across in our conversation. There's a lot here where we talk about, you know, covering the Cubs and, and the Bears and all that. We talk about Dion's life a little bit and how she got into sports casting, and I think you're going to find some of her stories hilarious because I know I did. I also really enjoy talking with her about running because we're kind of at the same place when it comes to our futures in running. 
hers is a little bit more dire than mine, but we came to the same conclusion. I mean, Dion's running like 50 miles a week. And I, I, on my good weeks, I was running what I call, and I say it in the episode, marathon weeks, where I would get 26 miles in in a, in a six-day week of running. But it was so great because she's one of those people that I really admired running. Like, she would post stuff, and, and I'd be like, man, I remember talking to her one day in the Bears press box before a game, and she was talking to me about how much she runs, and I was like, oh, my God, I have so far to go. To get to her level. But we talked about the, the the freeing sensation of running and what that's like and that runner's high, along with what it's like to do what she does and how did she get here. It's a fun episode. You're going to dig it. Dion Miller. All right. So that's you right okay, there. Yes. You're lit up. Oh, I hear you. Loud Good. And clear. You can hear me loud and clear. Take my gum out, which is such a bad habit. There's a garbage can over there. Okay. I think I am a gum chewer. I am too. Maybe I'll do a little bit of a little half and half. Whatever you want to do. Here. I'm here to chit chat like nobody's business. <laughs> um, that article, the Browns. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Not that we didn't know dysfunction was dripping out the windows. Hello. It, but was, it was crazy. Disturbing. Disturbing. Yeah. But in a. In a, yeah, he looks like a skeezy guy. I mean, I, there's no, I mean, to openly say I grew up as white as you can. I mean, as white as can be. Like, to openly say that? It's a it's very just, strange way to introduce oneself. <laughs> um, Yeah. Is that your tagline? Is that, that's not something to be proud of or to just throw out there? No, it's not. Like, I'm embarrassed. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, as a Cleveland Browns uh is fan still fair? Fan is fair. Fan is more than fair. Mm-hmm. You obviously knew that there was dysfunction in that organization. Oh, yes. But did you know it was to that degree? No, I didn't realize that Jimmy Haslam's desire was to, you know, if somebody said, let's go up, he'd be like, no, we're going to go down because that's who I am and I own the team and I can do whatever I want. I didn't realize he was making those decisions independently of other people and against the wishes of the people he had actually put in charge and was just saying, no, I want to do it this way. And it just, it rubbed everybody the wrong way. You can see it. It still has to be the most tenuous place to walk into every day because you just don't know what kind of mood he's going to be in. How awful to work in a place that you're constantly reacting to his reactions and not actually doing the job you're there to do. How crazy was it that there were a couple of Chicago connections in there? Yes. Number one, like that they went and talked to Theo. Yes. On on how to to go about maybe changing the way they look at things. And the part that I thought was more relevant for for our conversation, since you spent a lot of time covering the Bears this past year as they make their runs to the playoffs, the argument over Mitchell Trubisky. I found that so fascinating, too. And how Jackson would never publicly support it if they chose him and I which I thought was who says, uh, who says that? that thank you who says that I I don't yeah it's it's especially is he's from Mentor Ohio like he's right there and I I just that was that disturbed me and then obviously they didn't listen to Theo because I'm pretty sure Theo's got his act together on the north side and that is clearly not happening there I have always thought that Theo Epstein if at the end of this thing with the Cubs. Yeah. He decides that he wants to go run a hedge fund or 
do something in politics. And I don't even mean him as the candidate, although I think that if he ran for mayor of Chicago right now, (laughs) I think that he'd have a great, great percentage of the polling in his favor. But I feel like he could be a kingmaker of a candidate. Like he would under he would get in and figure out, okay, this is how we get maximum exposure for Mm -hmm. a candidate. Basically, what I'm saying is that I think that that guy could do whatever he wanted. And it's cool that he decided that he wanted to do sports. Yeah. Oh, completely agree with you. There are just some people who understand the dynamics of humans, of other people. And he does. And he sees it. And he knows how to put those people up in positions so that they can succeed. I think that's why it worked in Boston. I think that's why it worked. it's working here. He wants, he finds the right people. He sees character. He sees traits in people that he knows will complement somebody else. And he's able to bring that. That's a gift. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody looks for that sort of thing and says, these are the kind of people I want to surround myself with because I know that that will help make me better and push me to be at the top of my game. And he's open to that sort of thing. And I think that's what makes him successful. And at this point, he should throw his hat in the ring for the mayor, right? Well, I I saw something, a poll yesterday for the, the mayoral race that right now undecided is winning. Yes. Oh, I know. With all the, with all the <laughs> candidates that are running. I saw the same thing. And I was like, well, naturally, because there's too many options. And I, I mean, I don't want to. I love calling Chicago home. Lawrence, I am so proud to be from this city and it's not I didn't grow up here. So now it's like my home, home. I I've always felt at home here. But that just is it just is somewhat comical at times. It it is over the last few years we have really been the stereotype of Chicago and Illinois politics. Yes. Governors going to jail, aldermen being indicted. <laughs> 17 people in a mayoral race. <laughs> I know. Like it's it has been all of that for the it, last few years. And they're all interwoven and connected and the yep. stories come out and you're just scratching your head thinking, who thought they'd get away with this? Like what what is going on? It, and then and then we just are so glad we have sports teams to distract us. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, let me go back to the sports team. I, I'd love to know from your perspective, what's it like covering the Cubs now? versus covering the Cubs when things were not as great? Let me see. Well, when things were not as great, they were more of an afterthought, which I hate to say about the Cubs because they shouldn't ever be. But I remember it wasn't as important what happened that day. Did somebody do something good that we can celebrate? It wasn't. We didn't want to talk about them losing again, and we didn't want to do that. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but when I first arrived here at Fox 32, every Sunday I sat down with Dale Swaim, who's still one of my favorites, and we would do this long conversation after another, you know, lost series or whatever, and and I, I just remember it not being that it would not being the king. Do you know? Like it was always the Cubs just trump now. That's the, everybody wants to talk about it. Everywhere you go, you see Cubs jerseys, Cubs hats. They're they're everywhere. It's different in that regard, and that makes our coverage different because we know that the audience is there and wants it. And I want the same thing for the White Sox. Oh my gosh, I want it for them too because I think it would be awesome. But I know that the city rallied around around the Cubs because they've changed the way that they're looked at. And now kids want to be Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo all the time. Their jerseys are, my son wears the jerseys. All of his little buddies have the jerseys. That's They're everywhere. When you started doing, mm-hmm. uh, is it fair to call it silent? I never know what to call it in baseball. The being a reporter during games on on yeah. ABC Seven, what was that like? Because I, I don't know if we had really seen that from a, a local over the air 
station before. Like, yeah, like Dan Roan would pop up like after a game, right. but there wasn't any usually anything that was going on during a game. So having that type of access, what was it like? Oh, oh I, I mean, I loved it. There, To me, there's nothing better than being live at a game, and my heart just sings at a baseball game, so I was very happy. But it was, a, it was an interesting challenge because you're still trying to navigate the fact that we are covering every team in town and not just the Cubs. But at the same time, we have this partnership now. And so you're wanting to make sure you're upholding that level that everybody expects from ABC7, but now you're doing it on a totally different stage. And producing a game and producing a newscast are – two completely different languages, right? So we had to learn that. Now, I have a tiny background in live game stuff, working at BTN and and Fox Sports Ohio, and so I understand a little bit more of those dynamics, but for a lot of people at ABC, it was still all very, very new. And and the part that was hard for me was that at the end of the game, I wanted these elaborate post-game interviews and shows, and no, 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 as soon as the game's over, we're going to go to the news, because that's what we do. We do that really, really well. And now we're trying to implement the baseball game, so that was a little bit different. Um, Having that kind of access, being that close, and then doing the stories afterwards, I felt like it gave me insight into dynamics with the team, which I loved, and just seeing interactions in the dugout that you wouldn't in-game interactions with that the guys were having, and kind of interpreting how that would translate onto the field, And, and I love that baseball is such a thinking man's thing and I, I love that you have to kind of all those feelings come into stuff I love that so for me to analyze that and to have that kind of a seat was so special it's still something I would never take for granted but it it is a challenge to then balance that with the stuff you do over the air because as soon as that game is over Lawrence I like rip out one headset and put on another one and go in the locker room and ask questions about what we just saw and it's it's a lot to manage, right? So I'm constantly like writing during the game and thinking about, okay, well, how will I tell this story different to, than I would to the audience that was actually watching the game? Does that make sense? It, it totally so, makes so sense. So you're constantly, that's that's the balance. That's the hard thing for me. And then being there on Saturday night and doing the White Sox highlights with the same enthusiasm that I did the Cubs, not letting it look any different just because I was there at the game. Does that all make sense? Yeah. It does. And I know that you're trying to be balanced with the White Sox, but I, I want right to focus on the Cubs for, that's for fine. just that's a fine. few more that's minutes fine. here. Cut me off, yeah. B- because I'm I'm fascinated by what goes into the production of a, yeah. of a live game. And what type of stories are you usually looking for inside a game that might be different from you putting together a package after a game? Totally. Okay, so when you're in – when when I'm on the sidelines or in the next to the dugout, whatever you want to call it, what my goal is to enhance what's already there because quite frankly, they tune in to see the game. They're not tuning in to see me. So I'm not there to say, Oh, this is what I got. And this is who, what somebody said to me. I want to just bring the fan closer than they were before. So if, if Len and JD are talking about something and I saw something in the dugout or I talked to somebody before the game and I'm able to, enhance that that's the kind of thing I'm looking for something that the audience wouldn't know unless I was sitting right there watching it I remember last year Kyle Hendricks it was late in the season might have been St. Louis Kyle Hendricks uh, almost a complete game and he was in the dugout and they were speculating on whether or not he was going to come back out and I immediately told our producer I said I'm watching him right now and not a soul is speaking to him and that's indication he's probably gonna, he's got more pitches left. So they were like, all right, let's go to Neon and have her tell that story. So that kind of thing is is the immediacy of what's happening that the audience can't see, and and t- saying that to kind of bring everybody in. Okay, so let's talk about the way things ended for the Cubs. And at some point, I'm going to ask you about the way things ended for the Bears <laughs> because it, a lot of things ending sourly. Yeah, right now. <laughs> and it, it resonated with me in the moment 
and obviously I was dealing with three angry football players Mm -hmm. while this was going on, but it resonated with me that the same feeling at the end of the cub season was, it was, it was like, Oh wait, it's, it's over. Mm -hmm. Like, so there's no game tomorrow. Exactly. There's not going to be anything else. Like this is it. And I felt like Wrigley field went through that realization as the last out is recorded by the, by the, for the Rockies, you just sit there and go, Oh, and it was all like the whole place just went, the season's done. Right. So now it's over. 95 win team. And what I like to call first world baseball problems. Uh, oh, yes. Because that's what the Cubs seem to have. Here's here's a question that I've been bringing up to people about the Cubs. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to just sit here and talk strategy and X and O's with you. But I feel like Theo and the boys have said, we're not quite sure if it's coaching or evaluations. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to run a, run a test. We're going to get rid of the coaching staff. Right. And then at the end of this, if our players still haven't gotten to where we expected, then perhaps we need to look inward and go, maybe it was our evaluations that were off and not necessarily the coaching staff. Yeah, and I think this is the one thing that they will always talk about is how much they like the guys. And they don't want to disrupt what is happening in that clubhouse and the energy and the chemistry that they have. And agreed, agreed. This city fell in love with that group in 16. And that core group that is still there, um, despite some of the dramas around some of them, but that core group that it, they don't want to they don't want to mess with that. They don't they don't want to move that around because it's worked so well. And I agree with you. I think they're doing OK. OK, Joe, this is why he didn't get the extension. OK, Joe, we got you. We got you. We we believe in what you're doing so much that we're going to change everything around you and see if that doesn't if your message still doesn't come through loud and clear and you can get these guys to the level of play that we all know that they're capable of. They've shown us they're capable of it and they clearly did not do last year. And for all of them to be, you know, this sense of urgency they didn't have, it was an expectation that my how quickly things change, an expectation that wait a minute, the Brewers are celebrating at Wrigley. Wait a minute. The Rockies won that game. I mean, it's it's it was kind of like that feeling afterwards. And even though they won 95 games, which is Gosh, again, first world baseball problems. At the same time, I feel like they knew they didn't they didn't play with that urgency. It was almost like I don't want to say they were relieved, but they got over it quicker than I thought they would. Quicker than fans. I, I mean, and then they're just like, all right, now we're back and we've got that sense of urgency back. And and let's hope that they do. Didn't Theo said just last week or a couple weeks ago, whatever it was, he said Joe has the energy of a rookie manager right now. So that's what they wanted. They wanted it to sound fresh even though it's year five. It's almost like they won 95 games, but they didn't do it at their best. Right. And so they're looking around and going, maybe we didn't deserve to move on because we coasted. And imagine what we look like if we actually live up to what our potential is. Totally. Totally. And I I think you're exactly right. And, And I do feel like Joe is trying to he's you know it's he says the the managing millennials is not that different from the stuff you already know um but he's trying really hard to make sure that he's connecting at every level with these guys and and maybe that was lost last year maybe he went too hands off because he's like they know they know what i expect they know what to do and maybe that's why he's trying to bridge that gap again and and bring in new life be, it, new life to this clubhouse and breathe it in because it's not there i think the reality of the investment they made in darvish and chatwood and that not playing out 
weighed on everybody. It had to because you you put all this faith in these two arms that did nothing, absolutely nothing for your team, and and everybody's kind of looking around like, okay, well. What was that about? And and it just I, I think that there was that was heavier on guys than they want to admit. I think all of that stuff. They were relying on other people. They weren't taking it upon themselves. And and now is their opportunity to do that. You said that baseball makes your heart sing. It does. When did that start? Um, oh, I remember vividly. I don't know why I remember this. Okay, so I was working in San Diego and I had come to San Diego from Vermont, and it was right after the Red Sox broke their curse and were winning. And I had I become a Red Sox fan because I have to be honest. Everybody says, oh, when you cover the teams, you don't you can't be a fan. Look, it life is better when teams are winning, right? I mean, I'm not gonna lie. And I love competition so much that it's hard for me not to cheer for somebody who's trying really hard. And then once you get to know some of the people, you just you just have to like them, right? You want them so, to do well. Of course you do. So I just remember I was in San Diego watching highlights of some some Red Sox Yankees something, and Pedro Martinez just said He's like, hey, you know, and it's so cliche. It's almost embarrassing. But he said out loud, he's like, hey, I just have to get up tomorrow and go out and try again. It happens. You have a bad day. You got to move on. That's just life or something to that effect. And I thought in my head, that's why I love baseball, because it is just like life. Some days you'll nail it. Some days you will stumble out of the batter's box. But you always get another chance to do it. And you never know. One phone call, one pitch could change everything. And I love that about life, and I love that about baseball. It's like a fresh start every single day, and I'm energized by that. When did you know that you wanted to to be behind a microphone or in front of a camera? So I went to school to be an English teacher, which was um, my – I wanted them standing on the desk and quoting poetry like Dead Poets mm. Society. <laughs> <laughs> and I – which I still love that movie, and I still love Shakespeare, like – I mean, that's awesome. So I went to school to do that. But um, my sophomore year, I took a semester off, was having some health issues, was not in a good space in any way, shape, or form. And I just started to kind of reevaluate, what do I really love doing? Well, I love writing. I absolutely love writing. So I went to school to be a print journalist. That's what I wanted to do. And so I shifted majors. I was at a tiny liberal arts school that did not have a communications program at all. They didn't even have a journalism program. They called it professional writing. But I had a guy who had um, done some magazine writing and magazine editing, and he was like my personal professor. And I worked with him on writing. Then I had to take some communications class. And so on a whim, I'm like, oh, TV. That sounds fun. TV broadcast. It was rinky-dink. It was like so embarrassing. Like looking back, I think how silly. But I remember the moment the red light went on the camera and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to do this. And I think I was pretending to be at a fire and doing like a faux live shot for this silly little class. And I left and called my parents and was like, I think I need to find a way to do this. Like I, that's what I wanted to do. But, and I was, I was already talking sports. That's what I was doing all the time. News was too heavy for me. I'm a very emotional person. I don't know if you knew that. Dramatic and emotional. I would um, not and, say, <laughs> emotional I would say. Dramatic I would not say. Oh, sometimes I could be really dramatic. But, um, so I, I'm very, my emotions are tied to things. I care about things a lot. And news is just too heavy for me, right? So I was already watching SportsCenter around the clock. I loved it since I was a little girl. Talked sports with my dad all the time. And so it was just what I was already talking about. And once I realized I could do TV and sports at the same time. And it, at the time, I'm going to reveal my age a little bit, but women were very, very much the minority in sports. It was not normal. I loved the idea of the challenge. And so um, that's when I decided, but I was too far done with my schooling to get a degree in that, and I was clearly at the wrong school to do that. Had I known, I probably wouldn't have picked sweet little Houghton College in Western New York. I would have picked a different school, but um, I was blessed for the decision I made, and I'm owning that. But I, So I didn't do my internship until afterwards. Okay, And then... Um, Worked really hard to get my first job, 
in Billings, Montana. And that's how I kind of got in the business. Excuse me. Who were the women that inspired you? You said you were kind of looking around. Mm -hmm. So who were the ones you said, oh, if blah, blah, blah can do that, then I can do that. The, The woman that I've always admired more than anything is Susie Colbert. Always. And it was, I mean, she was, she was very big, right? Or really, really at her peak, I guess, when I was coming out of college, like in doing sidelines and doing all stuff, her and Andrea Kramer, those were the two that I watched and was like, I want to be that good. I want to be that good. And and I was never, I don't know what's wrong. Excuse me. I was never about, um, to me, it was about getting to tell the story that way. That was what it was always about. And I felt like that's what they were about. Just getting to tell the story, getting to bridge the gap between the athletes that everybody wants to know and the viewer at home and like and kind of bringing them together. I feel like that's what those two did really, really well. And now there's so many that do it really, really well. But that's always what I wanted. That's what appealed to me was that ability to tell a story that way. So you're in Billings, Montana. (laughs) Everyone who's been on the podcast, I, I asked them about this. What was the moment where you go, is this real life? Like, like the worst moment that you had as you're working your way up. Okay. So my, I was a one man band, uh, one woman show in Billings. I was the number three on a three person sports department in Billings, Montana, which a is totally unnecessary, but such an opportunity for me. And, um, I was filming a football game in Shepherd, Montana and I got tackled, and I broke my leg in three places, six months into my very first job. And I was, my parents were, I had grown up in Sarasota, Florida at that point. We had moved to Florida, and I was thousands of miles away. I was alone, and I had a cast up to my hip, and I wasn't able to work. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what what is happening, right? Like, am, am I really? And people ask me, Where, are you going to quit? Is this, do you really want to do this? And I think it actually made me want to do it more, like want to stay in the business more, like just to, to come back from such a thing. That was the moment where I was like, no, I'm in. I'm in. I'm going to do this, and I, I will refuse to not to, to, to quit. Cause I knew that Billings wasn't the end for me. It was not this, Oh my goodness, I'm on TV. This is so great. I've never had that moment to me. It was always, okay, how can I get better? Always, always. So when I was there, I was, I, I did everything I could. I did other things. I tested infomercial products on TV when I was still in my cast because I wanted to work and I couldn't go out and do the things they needed me to do, shooting football games, which I was terrible at anyway. But they, they, that's what part of being a one-man band is. And they wanted me to do that. And I couldn't because of my foot. So I did. I tested infomercials and uh, infomercial products on the air. Isn't that hilarious? This is one of the better stories <laughs> that I've gotten to this Isn't question. Isn't that hilarious? And me and one of our photographers who was hilarious, and we would set up the camera in my kitchen, and we would test like... Things that would, you know, like the key finder whistle and we'd test it in my apartment and then we'd run it on the news or we'd test. Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to think of some other things we did, like burner cleaners. And I mean, so weird, but I was working. So so were you like (laughs) recording like stand ups? We would just do it like we we would essentially do it. Like we would just each have a mic and we'd set up the camera and we'd do it like a fluid discussion. Like, here, we're going to try this. And and that's how we did it. That's amazing. Yeah, that's I did. I mean, I'm not not something I'm totally proud of, but it kept me on the air. And that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be off the air for like eight months because I knew at that moment 
reps were huge. Reps were so huge. And I've, I've always come from the avenue of every experience is good experience. And I think it honestly, you know, looking back, my career has taken so many ups and downs and different things. And I feel like little things like that prepare you for those moments when the prompter breaks and you've got nothing mm-hmm. to, to rely on your confidence of saying, I, I know what I'm talking about. I can do this. And just be yourself. Just be yourself. And, and that taught me that stuff. Were you an athlete growing up? Well, let's define that. <laughs> I played sports. I played, um, I started softball when I was like eight and um, played until high school and then volleyball and basketball. Those were my um, sports of choice. And I went to a small Hold high on. school. Yeah. No diss. No. Because no. I love you. You're the <laughs> smallest person I know. So how volleyball and basketball? Oh, and we, and I wasn't the setter. No, no, I was an outside hitter at volleyball. Okay, this is my tiny high school. Okay, we, it was a really small school, but I think I made honorable mention all conference. Or hey, something that works. <laughs> I was really, really, really competitive, and I still am. And that was what drove me to do it. Plus, I just enjoyed it. I mean, I enjoyed. I still love to shoot hoops, and I, I love to do that. I don't do it very often, but I enjoy that a lot. Um, other than that, I mean, I don't do any sports anymore. That's but. not true. That's why I wanted to ask you the running. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I have to. I've been a runner for a very, very long time. I am getting older, so it's not quite as intense as it used to be. We had a conversation. We were uh, we were texting about uh, running on the treadmill. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you got hurt running I on did. the treadmill. Many times I've been hurt running on the treadmill. And um, that used to be my, my workout of choice. Because of ease, you know, once you have kids, you're like, okay, I can't really leave the house and they're asleep and this is the best time to to run and the monitor's sitting on the treadmill and you're running and you're paying attention to them, whatever. Um, But I've been really hard on my body. And so I've cut back on that and tried to do other things as we get older, you know. It uh, things change and our bodies don't respond the same way. But mm, but facts. I do I do absolutely love running. I do and I still try to stay in really good shape. I enjoy activity. I enjoy walking. I enjoy. I'm learning learning to swim. I've never learned to swim. Really? Not laps. You know. I've always said I won't drown, but there's no guarantee. I don't. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I will. But at the same time, I'd like to know that I'm not going to. So I, I've t- been taking some swimming lessons with a sweet girl who I'm pretty sure I could be her mother, but whatever. Um, I've been taking some swimming lessons. I've just tried to incorporate other things, weightlifting, which I've never done. Just trying, you know, as we get older, we have to adapt. But running's always been my go-to. Yeah, I got a confession for you. I have uh, I have stopped running. Have you really? Yeah. I, growing up playing football and baseball, I was used to lifting. Okay. Like, and I kind of got away from that. I would say in my 30s, I got away from that. And I really, I what I didn't realize about myself is I really like lifting. Mm. And I enjoyed running. Yeah. But it's like you say, your your body, like my body is not built for it. Mm-hmm. Now I, I made all my goals. That's awesome. So my first goal was. I was going to run a 5K, and I was like, oh, I ran a 5K. And then it became an obsession mm-hmm. about, okay, you ran a 5K at this. Now can you do it at this? And I knew I was in a good place with running, and this was last May when I did it. I broke an eight-minute mile, which for That's me amazing. which for me is great. because I'm incredible. I'm a 10-minute mile pace yeah. runner. So I just said I'm going to blow it out. And so the University of Chicago – the Midway, Cottage Grove to Stony Island yeah. is like exactly a mile. Okay. And so threw the app on and just started 
chugging. And then I walked home and I was like, okay, um, you're pretty broken, right? <laughs> <laughs> After doing that. But my my goal was to get to 10K. Okay. And I was gonna run a 10K, but here's what I found. I actually run better alone. Yeah. Oh, same. Then in the same. races, like because in the races, it would be you're worried about like not running someone over or being in the way. I will say my most embarrassing moment was the Bears 5K. When I turned around and George McCaskey ran by, me. That, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was pretty embarrassing. But but I got my distance goal. I I did six and a half uh, at one point. That's I actually awesome. did it twice. And then I said I got to the end of the what I would deem the running season for me. Like I never ran. If the temperature goes below forty, I don't run. Oh. Agreed. Treadmill. Hello. Yeah. No, agreed. I don't need. To, I don't like being cold. I agree. I, there's no I, reason to torture yourself. So, like that. so the elliptical. Like I will yes. still like bust out six miles on the Same. elliptical. Same. But the pounding on my knees was yes. just. And I played catcher for a really long time, so my knees are not great to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I just said, I think I'm out. I think I'm done. Like I ran the shamrock. I ran the uh, the hot chocolate. I ran my own personal you know, 10k. There's nothing else that I need to prove. Yeah. I'm not going to run a marathon. Did you did, have you run a marathon? One marathon in Billings, Montana. So I What altitude was that? I have no idea, but literally they drove us out 26.2 miles, dropped us off and said, "Run on back." I mean, that was literally it. Not the best experience. I wish I had done something <laughs> a little better. <laughs> and what about that wasn't a good experience, Dion? Um, I'm proud of myself that I did it. I never need to do another marathon. When I lived in San Diego, they do a bunch of really cool half marathons through La Jolla and the beaches and amazing. I did a ton of half marathons in San Diego. And then um, where else did I, have I done? I've done some in Sarasota where I grew up a little bit. And then I am going to admit something. I don't know how you do this. You know, what's funny is when I sat down, I'm like, I'm not going to just admit things to him, but suddenly I want to. So I guess that means you have a gift. But so my body, I have really been hard on my body for years because I love working out. I love pushing it to the limits, whatever. But I have really, really weak bones. And so because of that, I got I hadn't had any injuries in a long time, um, but I was diagnosed with osteoporosis a long time ago, long time ago. And I've never really dealt with taking it seriously because it's never really bothered me. But in the last year, my bones have started to break down. I've had like fracture after fracture after fracture for no reason. So I'm seeing new doctors. I mean, you can edit this out if you want to, but I'm seeing new doctors and like trying to figure out what that's about. But it's just like we were talking about, like your body gets beat up. And, and I wish I wouldn't have done it that way. I wish I wouldn't have pushed so hard because I wasn't really, I didn't really have anything to prove. Um, but I wanted to prove it to myself that I could do more, that I could do 10 miles more than once a week, that I could do, you know, whatever that I loved pushing my body to limits just to see how far I could go. And it, now I'm paying the price for that on the other side. Do you think that there's a connection between how you go about work in that? Oh, yes. Nothing is ever good enough ever. I will wake up in the middle of the night and be like, "Ugh, why didn't I write it like that? I mean, I am constantly thinking about how can I do it better? How can I? Um, because I feel like our industry has changed so much. It's not just about the bare bones facts anymore. We have to present it in a way that stands out from what they heard five hours later. Right. So the press conference is over at noon. And I mean, it's not rocket science by 5 p.m., the people who care so much about the Bears or the Cubs or whatever, they know that press conference inside and out. So how will you draw their attention to something that maybe they hadn't heard already? 
right? So, so the one thing, the one thing that stuck out with me today at Chuck Pagano, I mean, great, uh, it uh, incredible, right? Late in the press conference, it was like one of his last sentences. He says, "There's a lot of swagger in our room, and I believe in swag." And I was like, "Oh my gosh, gold." Gold, right? Like, and I don't even know. A lot of times we will take the first couple answers from a press conference and just run through it really quickly. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to build the whole, like, that is what, that's why he's here because he believes in what, the same thing Nagy does, you know, like, let these guys be themselves. And I just thought, I don't know, I'm constantly thinking that way. And I think it's the same way that was the same way with running. It was like, well, if yesterday I did it this well, can't I do it better today? And that's how I feel about my work too. Exactly the same. So are you thinking that you'll do more weight training and yoga now yes, that you've got absolutely. these diagnoses? Mm-hmm. I want to do more Pilates. Pilates the swimming is a the really good idea. Is, is huge. Okay, so when I was recovering from a, a stress fracture that I had, I got in the water and did water aerobics at my gym. I'm pretty sure I was the only one under the age of 70. <laughs> I mean, and these women, I mean, I loved them. They were like the sweetest people. They embraced me wholeheartedly and I loved it. And it was so much fun. And I still will go on occasion just because I enjoy the the people. You know, I love people. But it was it was really fun. Yes, I'm adopting new things. The elliptical is my friend. Um, the rowing machine I'm trying to get excited about. I'm not really, I'm just weightlifting. I'm trying to talk to a trainer about what would be the best approach. Just trying to be smart about it. Sure. Because I have little people that I want to make sure that I'm the healthiest for, you know? How does a young lady growing up in Florida not know how to swim? I know, isn't that bad? Because in Florida, you lay on the beach, you don't get in the water. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and I owned that. Whew. Really? Oh, I love to lay on the beach. I love getting sun. I love it. I love it. The sunshine is just awesome. Where's your most favorite place that you've traveled? Gosh, um, for work or play? For either, work, one. either one. Well, so Let's I do did, one or both. Okay, so my last semester of college, because I was a semester behind my friends, I walked with everybody in May, and then I did my last semester in London. And it was amazing. What? Amazing. Yeah, I, was, I lived in London. I did some... Um, I would call it modified backpacking. I'm not like a sleep in hostels kind of girl. Uh, I stayed in cheap, cheap hotels, but I did some traveling on my own, which was a real challenge, and I loved it. Um, I went to Paris and uh, Switzerland and Austria. And, um, and you then, smiled but, big oh, when you I said Austria. Austria. Yeah, Salzburg and Vienna was amazing. And then I was in London with some friends. We went to Wales. We went to Germany. Um, it was tremendous. I was there for a little over four months, and that was. I still would love to go back. Love okay, go back. those don't seem like places where one can be in the sun. No, have of you course have not. you taken any fun like sun trips? <laughs> not really, which is bad. Never been to Hawaii. I just got back from the most amazing cruise with my family, and that I will own and take. We um, went to uh, St. Thomas, and where else were we? St. Thomas is the one that jumps out at me. I know we were somewhere else. So but... you you were the British Virgin Islands and the American yes. Virgin Islands. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, and the Disney Island. <laughs> okay, were you at the Fire Festival? Uh, no. Okay, all right. So so good. You didn't get scammed by Ja Rule. That's no, a, I did not. That, that's a very good thing that that you were not going to be there in the Bahamas getting scammed. No, I I have dreams of going. To, I really would like to go to Hawaii. It feels like kind of embarrassing that I lived in California and didn't go to Hawaii. So yeah, because that's what a four-hour flight from right. or Cabo. Like, what? How did I not do that? How did you not? I've done Cabo. I know. I, know. I wasn't even that. I wasn't that far away. 
Tijuana, because that was like a train ride. Yeah, that's like that's nowhere. That, that's, that's nowhere. Easy. That's a night out. That's, that's not right. A trip. You're right. You're that. That's a night out. You go do some fun stuff, and then you come back. And exactly. It, it, and, and it's all good. I always ask people on the pod, what advice would you give? Someone who looks at you the same way that you were looking at Andrea Kramer mm. or Susie Culber on how to get to where you're at. Gosh, that is a hard thing because everybody's journey is different. I think that the most important things that I have learned is that, that everybody's journey is different and that um, doors that open for one person may not open for me the same way, but that that's okay. We all bring something different to the table and that's what makes our world go round and it's awesome and it's worth celebrating other people's victories. I think life is you have to celebrate other people. I, I love that about our world. Um, but I think that paying attention to the steps you're on and what works for you is the best advice I can give because we look at other people and think, well, I want that. I want that now. Okay, well, it took a long time. Like I, I've been all over this country trying to get here. And every stop that I've made, I've tried to find something to learn from that, something to take from it that I can say, okay, later that's going to pay off, that I learned that. And I think that's the best advice I can give you. Be willing, be willing to try anything because it will make you better in the long run for where you want to go. And just get your ticket on the ride, right? Like just get on the carousel and then you can change horses as many times as you want. Just find a way to get in, even if that is news, even if that, say, I don't want to be a producer. Okay, well, what can you learn from that and then take into your reporting and, and be determined to do that? I think that if you're determined and you want to do it, I tell everybody who asks, can I do this or whatever? Yes, yes, absolutely you can. If you're determined and you're willing to do the work, absolutely you can. You just can't be afraid to fail. You can't be afraid to go to a tiny market. You will never get stuck there unless you want to. So don't believe that. <laughs> because you think in Billings, Montana or Burlington, Vermont, that beautiful, beautiful places, wonderful, wonderful people. But when your goals are ESPN or whatever, you think, oh, I'm going to get stuck here and I'm never going to get anywhere in life. And no, no, that's never the case. The there's always opportunity. There's always there's always something. And now, I mean, everybody says, "Oh, the opportunities in news are so small." Well, yeah, but now we have online presence. I mean, now we have whole networks who are based online. There are limitless opportunities. You can make your own way and make it unique and find your own voice and that is exciting. Well, I'm not focused on this at all, but that's that's kind of the um that that's what I would say is just to kind of own where you're at and and if you are determined, you will get there and just keep putting in the work, put in the work because it is work. It's not easy. It's not easy to just throw together what we do and on the fly and and you're limited and you'll put a ton of time in and then you'll sit down on the desk and you're cut by a minute and a half. OK, well, what mm. what are you going to do? You know, like mm. or or there's a weather storm and suddenly you're standing there for your live shot and you're all ready and nothing. And, and you know, just different things. You have to be willing to adjust. And, and I think another thing is to recognize how many people help you get to where you're going? Do you know what I mean? Like no job is ever beneath you, ever. And and the jobs around you are so essential to getting you where you want to go. I mean, just for me to sit on the set and do a three-minute sportscast, I need roughly 15 people behind the scenes doing that, getting me there. We are a team. We are all working together. And I think you have to know that at every step of your journey that you're going to you're going to need other people to help ask questions, learn what they're doing so that you understand everybody's role is really really important and and I think that can help you be successful. I've seen you at different journalism groups, different churches, mm -hmm. different women's groups being an advocate. Why are those things important to you? 
I love people. I have such a heart for other people. I have such a heart for connecting with other people and um, celebrating them and, and encouraging. Oh my goodness, encouraging. I um, that's, that's something I really feel like God's laid on my heart that that's something I want to to do. And I feel like I've been so blessed by people who've poured into my tiny little life and encouraged me that I can't help but give it back. I don't feel in any way, shape, or form that I'm special because I'm Dion Miller. I just feel like I am just a normal person who loves other people, and I want to do that. I want to love on other people, and that is why it's important to me. And And it's important for me to feel connected to those who allow us into their homes. That is a big deal to me, and I take it very, very seriously. And so if I run into somebody at the grocery store or if someone asks me to come speak at a church, that I mean, I'm not honored. I am honored, of course. I don't know that I am no authority. I just can only speak from my heart. And, and try to be real. That's my number one thing is just to be myself, be you. And um, It's on and the card. It's on the card, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have no choice. It's on the card. Um, no, I truly, that's what I want to do. And I want to encourage others to do that too. And, and to realize that life is not a competition. Life is just loving other people and being kind to other people. It's not that hard. And it, it feels like I've been given a gift and now I want to give it back. Why is ABC7 so good at the news product? That is a really good question. You know, I've been in places where they want you to reinvent it and do it different. And at ABC7, they just want to do the news well. That's what they do. And it is, you feel it when you walk in the building. And it's hard to describe um, that everybody wants to, they want to continue to want to do that. Yes, there are frustrations. And yes, we all get frustrated that it's hard to keep up with the social media. And there's other things we have to work on and and different uh, things that are pulling our attention away. Um, but they consistently, it's, they've consistently had the same product, I think, because they find the kind of people that are after that. I mean, I think it's a, it's, they're into the people side of it too. Um, and I, I really think that I, they, they seem to care about who we are and and what makes us tick and getting to know us. And I really feel like our weekend crew is a family. I, I really do. I mean, we we talk about our children and, and that's everybody on and off the air. I mean, we we laugh a lot. We and, and I feel like that's kind of the culture that they've created there. It's it's very much like a sports team. OK, I got a, a couple of sports things that I want to go over with you real quick, because I know that your time is limited. Um, the White Sox. Why do you want to see them succeed in in them trying to rebuild and and maybe even bring in Manny Machado? Oh, that would be because it it would just be good energy for them to see that the that the club is so invested in the guys that are already there that they are bringing in somebody who can just compliment instantly make them into the contenders that they want to be. And it's just better in our city when we have two teams like that going at it all summer long. Be- better storylines, better things to talk about. Fans are excited and energized. I mean, we know summer's the greatest time in the of the year. There's to be no in better city. There is no than summertime in Chicago. You None. can feel the heartbeat, and I love it. And I just think that I, I love that that little rivalry. I feel like it would be so much better if they were both good at the same time. And I've not been in town when that's happened. With the Bears, mm. walk me through. You watching it end against the Eagles. I, I mean, <laughs> it still bothers me. It still bothers me. I wasn't even on the team. It still bothers me. It because 
because I knew that they didn't play their best game, I felt like they played it the week before, which was really a bummer. The defense didn't come out and dominate in the first half. Mitch seemed a little bit off, and yet they were so confident they had another week left that that I feel like the look on Nagy's face, Akeem's face, and Mitch Trubisky's face when that ball clanked off the upright was how everybody felt. Like, no, 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 no. This is not supposed to end this way. And... And that's why it was just kind of depressing. I felt like the whole city was depressed. And, you know, Parky promised the sun would come out the next day, and it so didn't. I mean, don't you remember? It rained all day. <laughs> it didn't. It rained, it rained all, all day. All day. It, it was, was I actually, I actually joked on the air about how the day was indicative of how the city oh, felt. So true. So true. We were all so slow that morning. We were totally bummed. And my four-year-old's like, Daddy stood up and just had his hands on his head for a long time. I mean, it was like they didn't. My kids didn't know what to do. I wasn't there, but my husband was like, "What?" I mean, that's how everybody felt. That just no, no, no. And I think the having been in sports as long as we have, Lawrence, you know, from year to year, it's hard to find that kind of chemistry. It is hard to find that kind of energy. Thank God they're not going to have a lot of roster turnover, but it is hard to find that. It's you can't replicate that. But there is already turnover. The Vic I Fangio know, thing I is know. a big deal. I'm going to admit another thing. Such a crush on Vic Fangio. Really? Oh my goodness, yes. Why? Oh, witty, smart, good at his job. Come on. What's not to like? <laughs> the guys in my department know that I'm ridiculous. They were like, "What are you going to do now that Vic's gone?" <laughs> I mean, I just I love talking to him. I thought that he um he gave you that like wit and yet he gave you something. He answered your questions, and he was super respectful. I mean, I'm so happy for him, but I, I loved Vic. And and I knew, and, and you're right, I just I knew he was probably gone. And just, you know it's going to be different. And it it was so organic what happened last year with Nagy. And um, I adore Matt Nagy, but it, it was, I don't know, I, it's not going to be the same. It just isn't. And that is what bummed me out, I think, the most. How different was it covering Nagy versus John Fox and oh. Mark Trussman? I <laughs> Oh, sweet Mark Trussman. <laughs> a, very, a very sweet man. He was so kind. They both were. And, um, you know, Fox would talk and talk and talk and talk. And you'd walk away and be like, you know what? There's he nothing didn't say there. anything. He didn't say anything. Towards the end, you just stop even running his sound bites, which, no, he's the head coach. You shouldn't do that. But there was nothing, no meat to it. And I felt like Matt was so um, genuine right away with the things that he said. I do wonder how transparent he was being at the end, but he said it in a way that it was his himself. He never changed who he was. Um, so... I don't know. I don't know. But um, yeah, it's so different. Refreshing is the best word I can put for it. Refreshing. He just was so great. And I feel like Pagano's going to fit into that. I felt like Vic fit that too, was very um, kind of refreshing in his his approach. I think Chuck Pagano will fit that too. Thanks for doing this, Dion. Oh my gosh. Did I talk too much? No, <laughs> not at all. You didn't talk too much. Oh my gosh. Fun. Thank you. Yeah. You're always welcome here. Thank you. Well, I, I might come back. It's very fun. That would be great. Yeah. If you would come back. Yeah. There's a lot of things awesome. we didn't talk about. Yeah. We didn't talk yeah. about Ray. Not really. Other than him having his hands on his head. Right. Right. Other than his reaction to the Bears season. Ending. We didn't really talk about the kids. I know. Which that could fill a good hour. Yeah. I love There's all them. sorts of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Next time. Okay. Well, then that means there'll be a next time. Yes, there's definitely going to be a part two. All right, great. You're on the list already for a part two. <laughs> Bless you for letting me come. It's Thank that you. easy. Thank you. Dion is the best, man. She's so fun. She's so fun. She's so willing to play.
And I dig that. Anytime she comes on the air, I, I had the chance to work with her husband, Ray, over at 120 Sports, and he's exactly the same way. Like, they're, they're just a fun couple. And they're, they're both, they, they both have that thing, like that gift of you turn the microphone on, you turn the camera on, and, and they are ready to go. So I hope that you got something out of it, as per usual, that you learned a little bit about what it's like to make some of the choices to be in this business. And, and I'm, um, I'm hopeful that you, you like the episode because I, I really dig on Dion, and I'm glad that she had time to come and hang out. And then I tried to teach her how to use the pedway afterwards. I made her turn the wrong way, and she ended up outside. But she now knows how to use the pedway, so I take that as a victory. Let me take a look at some of your emails. House of L podcast at gmail.com. This from Cole, who says, Lawrence, I just want to send a quick note about how much I love the podcast. I'm sure you get a ton of emails stating the same. I've never been able to stick with the podcast and religiously follow it. And I got to tell you, I'm glad I started following House of L. Absolutely love getting to hear you more than from 6 to 10. The Mark Rohde episode was just awesome, my favorite so far, and I just had to email. P.S. Could not handle the Lou Pinella impersonation. Yeah. I've never laughed that much on an episode of, of the podcast. Grody is hysterical. Absolutely hysterical. This one from Jack. Lawrence would love to hear Robert Feeder as a guest. That's not, you know what, Jack? That's not a terrible idea. I was actually thinking about doing that. What's it like to cover Chicago media? It's on the list of things. It's actually on that list that I did at the beginning of the year of people that I wanted. I'll see if I can make that happen. It's a great suggestion on your part. This from Antonio. Hey, Lawrence, I want to start off by saying how much I love the podcast. It's insightful, intelligent, and most of all, genuine. When I listen, I feel like one of the guys sitting around shooting the shit. Each podcast has its own eclectic vibe, and it keeps me coming back for more. That being said, I was thinking you could throw Steve Stone, Ryan Carcillo, and Pat Foley on there for on their respective podcasts. I'm sure they have stories for days. I just wanted to reach out and send some appreciation your way. Thanks for what you do. Maybe I'll see you at 35th and Shields this summer. That's from Tony. Well, thank you, Tony. Steve Stone is definitely on my list. It's hard to pin him down, though. Like, it's difficult to get Steve to agree to something like this. But, yes, you talk about a guy who's got stories for days. Um, one of the most fun evenings I've ever had was being out in Arizona on vacation and having dinner with Stoney at Don and Charlie's. Like, that's one of my, like, great memories. Like, he, you know, I, I told him I was in town. He said, let's go have dinner. And and contrary to popular belief, Steve paid. Introduced me to everyone. Like the, all the baseball guys were in town, so he's introducing me to everyone. It was uh, it was an eye opening experience of how much that guy is respected around the game and how many people he knows. So he's on the list. This from Jim Lawrence. Love the podcast. All the work you put into it for us. You've mentioned a couple times considering going every other week. Please don't. It's great to look forward to a new episode every week. As for guests, I'm a P1 score nerd, so any of your inside radio stuff is great. Joe O, Herbie, and Grody have been great. Golf, of course, too. I also love the attention you give the female voices in sports. 
something the city uh, lacks greatly in radio. Sarah Spain, Kelly Crawl, and Sierra Santos were all terrific, and hopefully you listened to this and you thought that Dion was terrific too. As future guests, I'd love to hear, and he runs down, Bernstein, Layla, Jen Latta, Sarah Kustak, Peggy, Terry Boers, Dan Jiggets, Lauren Jiggets, Jonathan Hood, Jeff Dickerson, Zach Zabin, Matt Abaticola, Chris Hill, Chris Ranji, Brian Peruk. Of those people that you suggested, um, Brian Peruk was actually one of the first people that I reached out to, but his company will not let him do something online, even with my independent podcast. And it sucks because I really think that guy has had an interesting road in broadcasting and would love to talk to him about it. I'm working on getting Sarah Kustak soon. Um, Jeff Dickerson and I have talked about him being on the podcast, but as he said, and I don't feel like I'm breaking any rules here, his wife has been sick. So him, all of his extra time is poured into his family. And, and I, I respect that. And I see JD occasionally out and we talk and we text every now and again. I, I don't want to push that man to be on the podcast. Um, when he's got some free time, he's a man of his word. And I'm sure that we will sit down, but he is absolutely one of my favorite people on the planet. And I know that, that it's been a struggle over the last year or so. So keep that man and his family in your thoughts because he's really one of the good, good guys. Thanks. Some great emails this week. I'm glad that we we got it cracking and people enjoyed it. And thanks for listening to this week's episode. Keep the suggestions coming. Keep the emails coming. Houseofelpodcast at gmail.com is the way that you can email the show. I already finished next week's pod, at least the interview portion of it, not the front and back. I usually do those on different days. I think you're going to dig it, too. Like, if you're a sports nerd or just, like, a nerd nerd or a history buff or whatever, my next guest you're going to absolutely adore. Thanks to Dion Miller for being so generous with her time and being so great on the podcast as per usual. I'll talk to you. Have a great, great week. And thanks again for the support. Go back and listen to back episodes if you're new to the podcast. Some great episodes, man, like with Sarah and Kelly Kroll and Barry Rosner and Jason Goff. We're talking to all the movers and shakers, baby. Talk to you next week. Peace.